Episode 129. Let's get right to it. We have a, a jam-packed show lined up for you again today. We have Dennis Bernstein joining us from Denver at the Stanley Cup Final. In the second period, we have Mike Stuthers, who's going to come on and uh, share some wisdom with us. And then we also have the big news, Marco Sturm taking over the uh, head coaching job with the Ontario Reign. We'll get to that in the third period, along with some other breaking LA Kings news. But first up, Dennis Bernstein, how are things going out there in Denver? Things are amazing, John. It's a great sports town, right? Obviously, Avalanche at the top of the food chain, but your Broncos, uh, the Nuggets, the Rockies, and even though the Rockies aren't very good, John, and I think the only two players that people know are C.J. Cron and Charlie Blackman, uh, they had 34000 last night. The get-in price tonight, I think, is around $700 for, for game two, which is steep for, for Denver. But uh, great sports fans. They've really embraced the cup final. The one thing, they love to sing, John. They, they, that's the one thing. They, the fans here love to sing at, at, at sporting events. So like, last night, Charlie Blackman's walk-up music is uh, Your Love by uh, the outfield. And there's a point where the, there's one line that says, I don't want to lose your love tonight. And everybody sings tonight. And I think fans really know about the Avs. They play all the small things. I think it's a second or third period where the, the fans sing along for uh, for two uh, for two choruses or two stanzas. Uh, the one thing, John, I'll say about this team, I, I love that they're hyped and I love the fans that are great and and the, the city's going crazy over the cup final. They started chanting, we want the cup at 3-1 in the first per- period with 15 minutes to go or, or three minutes to go in the, in the first period. Like, you need to slow that roll down a little bit. So to me, uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's warm here. It was 100 degrees yesterday. So the combination of the Heat, although the building was not warm yet uh, in game one. I'm hoping it's the same thing for game two here, but it's been exciting. It's been a lot of fun. We enjoy it. Um, not for nothing, John. Game one, the way it, it, it laid out, it, it matched. Worry about the hype, and these are the best two teams. And Nathan McKinnon has said in the past, like, this is what we want. We want best on best. We got best on best. So to me, it's been far so good, but it's only one game in. And, and I suspect tonight that they're going to get a much better response from Tampa Bay. Well, DB, we know that hockey is more fun when you and I disagree. Unfortunately, uh, everybody by now has read our predictions on the fourth period, and uh, we both took Colorado in this series. I like Colorado in seven. You like Colorado in six. They have a one-game lead right now. We'll have to see what happens in game two, and then the series will will move itself to Tampa Bay, and uh, we'll continue to talk about this as things move along. Speaking of the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of their favorite, or one of their players, I should say, Braden Point, is a longtime favorite of our next guest, Mike Stuthers. We've 
we've talked about Stuthers and Braden Point in the past. On the other side of the break, though, we're going to bring in Stutz, and we're going to talk all things hockey and catch up and see what he's up to right after this. All right, kings of the podcast, uh, no time, no uh, reason to wait around here. Let's get right to it. Happy to bring in Mike Stuthers. Stutz, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know that. Always look forward to talking to you, Mayor. Well, I really appreciate that. You know, I want to just tell you, you were on my mind this week because there was some action that was going on in Ontario. There was a coaching change that always makes me think of you, but also development camp is coming up for Anaheim. So that was making me think of you. And I just thought, hey, you know what? Why why wait? Because uh, we're going to be knee deep in draft coverage here over the next couple of weeks. So now's a good time to get you in. But um, apparently we had to drag you off the lacrosse field. So, so first, before we get into hockey, what's going on in the world of lacrosse? Okay, well, first of all, it's been it's been just fully invested in my grandkids since I've been home, which has been terrific. Uh, they're very, very busy. Uh, seven, five, and two. The seven and five-year-olds are playing uh, box lacrosse, which is, uh, for those that don't know, uh, is just they take the ice out of a, of a hockey rink and you play on the uh, concrete floor. A lot of physicality, even at the age of five and seven, which is very surprising to me. Um, we've got soccer going, we've got baseball going, we've got power skating going, tournaments all over the place. So I've just been busy with my wife and bombing around and trying to support these, uh, these young grandkids bars, as well as spending some quality time at the lake with some sleepovers and doing some fishing and stuff like that. So it's been great, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's the stuff I try to look forward to, uh, the, the stuff that I missed during the, the hockey season. I look forward to being able to help out my my daughter and, and her family in any way, shape, or form. Stutz, I can't imagine you in the stands, e- even with five and seven year olds. You're a coach twenty four seven. So how do you turn that off? You're sitting there in the stands. The physicality that you mentioned, the game might be out of hand at one point. How do you sit there and just remain, you know, Grandpa Stutz instead of Coach Stutz? Or do you? Well, that is that's a real good question, and I, I don't find that hard at all. Um, because uh, you know what, I, I don't want to be that, that grandpa or that support system that has all the answers. And because I'm a coach in hockey that I'm going to, you know, relay all this information to them. I don't say anything to them. I just let them play. And, you know, on the way to, uh, say if we're driving to a tournament, we got some time in the car together. Um, it's all just kind of small talk, how school was looking forward to your lacrosse game or your power skating or whatever it is. And uh, as the game unfolds, I say very, very little. Now, the thing I do have a problem with is the parents that are very vocal. And (laughs) (laughs) it's just, it's amazing to me how many of these uh, parents are so actively involved in the uh, 
uh, support of their children, they actually make themselves look like jackasses because all they do is yell and scream. And as I said, they're seven and five years of age, and you've got you know parents yelling, hit them, crush them. And it's just like, okay, well, I know we just talked about the fact that they can hit, but there's other aspects <laughs> to the game. And I know that sounds strange coming from a guy like me, no. but it's like, okay, we've got a lot of things to work on. And I think right now the best that we can do is just support them. And you know what? If they fall down, get back up. If they get hurt, you okay? Get back up. Get back into it. And at the end of the day, did you have fun? Yes. Then you know what? It's been a success. So actually, for me, it's harder to take a deep breath, count to 10, and try not to deal with the parents that are driving me nuts. Uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Look, we're going to get into the Anaheim Ducks. There's a lot of stories this year from your, you know, your time behind the bench there, including a stint as the head coach. Which you know, what a crazy turn of events in Anaheim this year. We'll get into all that. Uh, we can talk American League. We can talk Owen Sound. But I, I want to ask a question that builds off of what you just said. I, I would imagine that when you are were a coach in the American League, that you have to sort of break bad habits of players and for things just like that. Maybe they, they come to you and they're coaching without naming names, but they have, you know, a coach in junior or a coach in college or wherever they came from, you know, could be in Europe that had instilled certain things in them. And as you're trying to mold them into becoming NHL players, the first step with them, I'm guessing sometimes is breaking them of the bad habits and convincing them to do things a different way. How challenging is that? And maybe like how much of the job was just that for first year pros? Well, you know what? That's a great question, and it, it's it's totally different now because I'm I'm going to change gears here from seven and five year olds, and it's all about fun, right? And and now, you know, you're 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 coming into the American League, or uh, you're you're coming into the NHL, and and you are a pro. Okay, so that's a big difference. You're now being paid to play the game of hockey, um, and now you want to reach the pinnacle of playing and staying and remaining in the NHL, and beyond that. You know, you want to be, uh, you know, a top six forward. You want to be a top four defenseman. You want to be a starting goalie. Um, you know, sometimes things that you've done to get you to this point have to be altered, um, have to be uh, changed a little bit. And you know what? Sometimes you're dealing with kids or, or guys that are quite open to change or suggestions and, you know, are very easy to coach in regards to, you know, you, you tell them or you show them what needs to be done on, you know, say a, a guy like Trevor Zegers. He's got all the talent in the world. He's got great puck skills and probably the, the best puck handler I've ever seen in my life. Um, and he's gotten this far on that skill, which is terrific. But Z knows, you know, to be a complete player, to get the minutes that he's looking for. And for us to have success with the Ducks, um, you know, he needs to be a little bit more aware of basically the clock and knowing when he should or should not try a certain maneuver at the at the uh, ozone blue line that could result in a turnover or perhaps a better uh, play would be to just lay the puck behind the D, we'll pick it up with some speed, you know, um, being a little bit more aware in his own end. And I, and I only pick Z because, you know, he's a young kid. Um, he's tremendously talented and just a terrific person as well. Um, but you, you can't be one-dimensional. So now you're, you know, these guys have maybe had these habits, John, for quite a few years. Uh, maybe that has not been addressed, that a certain part of their game has not been addressed by their junior coach or their college coach. 
And, you know, it's up to you uh, as a staff collectively to try and convince them um, that there's a, uh, a better way to play for the overall success of the team. And you know what? You certainly don't want to uh, stifle them. You don't want to curtail what uh, has, has made them the elite player that they are. But it is part of, okay, what do we need to do to have success when we don't have the puck? What do we need to do to get the puck back? And now let's manage the puck properly. And I think that's a big thing that, that uh, the players have to get through. And it's a tough job. It really is. And you get some guys that they're, they're very, very resistant. And uh, sometimes they almost get the, the feeling that, you know, you don't like them or you're picking on them or whatever. And it's, it's not that at all. You know, our job is, is to coach, is to teach, um, and help these uh, players become the best they can be. It's no different than a teacher in school. You know, you're trying to, you know, prepare these students to, uh, to have successful careers uh, going forward. Um, maximize their education as best as possible. So um, you can't always just keep telling them how good they are. Sometimes you have to say, well, you know what? You could be better if you did this. And it's all in the presentation, I think, John. Um, you know, it's with some positive reinforcement, either uh, in one-on-one meetings or, you know, video sessions. And uh, it, it's well worth it when you see the light bulb finally go off. And that individual kind of gets it. And now, you know what? They're seeing the, the benefits of what you were trying to get across to them. And their play is much improved. So um, I don't think I've talked to Zegris since rookie camp of last year. Um, probably we'll get a chance to talk to him sometime over the summer. I already have my first question for him. I'll give you a chance to answer it as well, which is throughout this year, how many times did you reference Braden Point when talking to Zegris? <laughs> I put the over under at about 300. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I, I might, I, I might have thrown the name Braden <laughs> yeah. Point out there a few times. Once I might twice, have yeah. included some video to follow up with. Probably it. yes. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. But you know what? Like in all honesty, like Z is a gem. Like he, he's out there. Like he's, he's a fully engaging individual. He loves to talk. He's got a great personality. And you know what? He, he's fearless, right? Like he, he'll try things. And you're like, there's no way this kid can pull it off. And he does. And the only thing you kind of got to do is, okay, Z, like, you got to pick your spots here, but like, you can't try to, you know, beat everybody one on one all the time, you know. And, and again, you know, he's, he's learning as he goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, things that he probably got away with before, you know, sometimes it ends up being a turnover and it ends up being a goal in the back of our net. Well, you know what? He's going to learn from these things. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be. And the good thing for us as a coaching staff is he is very receptive to coming in and having one-on-one individual meetings with video, and he wants to know what he can do better. Uh, he's very good at analyzing his play afterwards and watching the video and going, yeah, he's, he'll be the first one to say, yeah, that was, a, that was a poor decision on my part. I need to be better and everything else. So it's really encouraging, and it's a lot of fun to work with that guy. So this next question, let me set it up here so that you don't, uh, don't think something – about this question that I'm not trying to get at, if that makes any sense. Let me, let me explain what I am trying to get at. And you have two different situations. In Los Angeles, you had the, the Ontario Reign working out of the same training facility as the LA Kings. So the AHL and the NHL team working out of the same building. That obviously comes with many benefits. I think one of the um, 
the opposites of that, the, the, the cons of the situation, is that I think sometimes American League players feel like they've already made it to the NHL because they're, they're rubbing elbows with the NHL players and the coaches and everything, but there still is a lot of work to do at the AHL level to ultimately make it you know, to the, to the LA Kings. So I'm not really asking you, you know, which one's better, which one's worse, but I would like to just talk about the difference because the situation in Anaheim is quite different. You have the AHL team in San Diego, so you're removed from it. So having come from that where you were together in the LA organization at TSPC to now when you're at Great Park in Irvine and you're, you're training and you're working and all that sort of stuff, do you, do you feel the difference? Do you feel removed from the Amer or did you feel removed this past season from the American League Club? Or is there a lot of communication that you never really noticed the difference or just sort of compare and contrast, if you will? I'm not asking which one's better or worse. That would be an unfair question. But can you compare and contrast the two different situations and maybe explain uh, how, how you work through it? Well, you know what? Like, you're never putting me on the spot by asking me any question. And I mean, there are some oh, then I have some doozies coming up later, Scott. So we'll put you on the spot. Okay, that's fine. No, <laughs> like you know, you have free reign to ask me anything you want. I appreciate. You know, that. I'll give you an honest answer. Or I'll just say, you know what? Unfortunately, right now I can't speak on that. But in this situation, I really feel that there's some 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 strong pros and some you know some cons to the situation. So when I look at it, and you're trying to help these guys prepare to be a pro, we're in Manchester the first year, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, guys are, you know, they're a little bit removed, obviously, from from the Kings. There is a three-hour time difference. Um, it's a it's a cross-country flight, pretty much, uh, if you're getting called up and, or if you're returning back down. Now, you can look at that as, as, as a con, and the, the guys are too far away. But I also look at it as it, it's, it's a positive in the fact that, okay, these guys are learning to be pros. And part of learning to be a pro is you know what, you get that call and now you've got uh, an hour, you've got two hours to get your shit together and then get on a flight and, and travel across country to meet the team wherever it is and then you're expected to perform. No no excuses, no questions asked. Or sometimes, you know, it's, it's the best call you've ever gotten. You're going up and you're in Manchester and you got to go to Boston and you got to get a flight out of Boston, but the weather is so bad that your flight get canceled and now you can't even get called up. And that happened to Jordan Wheel. So you've got the emotions of, okay, this is like great. And then it's kind of a crushing defeat that you didn't get to go. But all these things are, are life lessons that, you know what, help prepare you to be a better pro. So from that aspect, it's not that bad. Now, if you want to have your guys accessible for those call-ups, yeah, then it's great to have them say, down the road in San Diego or, you know, up the road in Ontario. And then, you know, you bring the guys in. It's not that bad to get them in. But there is that separation of you are an American League player and you are not rubbing elbows with the NHL guys. So until you officially make the NHL, you are an American Hockey League player. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. There should be a distinction between those two. And it you, you get close to that where, you know what, it's almost like um, they're given things before they're actually ready for. Um, or, you know, in the case of, you know, we go down and we move down to the El Segundo area, like now, you know, and it doesn't happen often because both teams, their schedules, but when both teams are in town together, you know, you could have some guys, you know, hanging around with the Kings guys or Kings guys hanging around with the Rain guys. And, you know, that's not a bad thing either, except that, you know, if you're with the Kings, 
you know, you should be bonding with your, your Kings teammates. If you're with the rain, you should be continually bonding with your rain teammates and not if you're a rain player spending more time trying to hang around with the NHL guys. And again, it's, it's, it's just a mind thought that I have, uh, John. It doesn't say it's right or wrong. But I think there does need to be that separation because I truly believe that when you get called up from the American League, number one, it should be because you deserve it. And number two, it should be a test of are you ready? And if you are, can you remain as a king? Or in our case, as you know, a guy gets called up from San Diego, he comes into Anaheim, you know, his, his play is what it is. Maybe we know beforehand he's just filling in, or maybe this is an opportunity for him to make a mark and you go, you know what, we got to make room for this guy. Uh, you know, we've got some decisions we've got to make. Uh, maybe we can move somebody to get some assets and then have this player fill in. And they know that if it doesn't work out, they're going back down to San Diego. So it, it's, it's a good thing, and I think it keeps the, the coaching staff separate um, it keeps the players separate, um, but you're still close enough that you can, you know, you can buzz down to San Diego and watch a game. You can buzz down to San Diego and, and attend practice. And conversely, you know, their guys or their staff can come up and watch games in Anaheim. So it's very beneficial that way. Um, but you know what? I think you're seeing more and more teams that are now actually trying to get away from, say, those cross-country uh affiliations but i mean the other part of it is john it, it is what you make out of it like mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed being in manchester and being three hours uh time difference away from the big club uh certainly enjoyed the move to be closer uh love the fact that i'm back in the california area and in anaheim now and our and our minor league team is in san diego um you know what it it seems to be working for both organizations and I see a real upswing for both organizations on where the teams are going to get back to where those teams used to be, which is at the top of the standings. Yeah, for sure. The two organizations are definitely on a collision course, regardless of what the regular season standing said last year. You're talking about two organizations that have very deep pipelines. Prospect pools are are overflowing, if you will. And so over the next couple of years, these two franchises are, are uh, not only on their way back to where they once were, but I think they're on a collision course for Pacific Division, maybe even Western Conference dominance. But you talked about one of the advantages in Manchester. Uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't work in a good Mark Unetti uh, comment here. One of the advantages to being in Manchester you were just, uh, you know, 30 minutes away from the Yanetti compound. Yank uh, was a frequent visitor there to the Monarchs. Well, you know what? It's a great area, and it's surprising, you know, how many hockey people are in that area. It's it's actually a great sports market, right? Like, mm-hmm. anytime you're, cl- uh, you're close to Boston, and this can be debated for, because everybody has their favorite team, their favorite organization, but I don't know. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better sports town that has had better success than say Boston, the Boston area with the hockey and the the football and the the baseball and the basketball. I mean, it's incredible, right? So, I mean, there's something to be said for that being in that area. And for us, when we were playing in Manchester, like you knew that this was a sports passionate area. And I think that helped the players as well. So, um, you know, good on Yank and and all the people that are, are, are through there, but, um, it's a great place to play. It's a great area. And you know what? Um, like I said, uh, I know everybody has their favorites, but man, oh man, I don't <laughs> think you can come up with a better sports now. 
I have to tell you, Stutz, you took that uh, you took that to the far right when I was expecting the far left there. I thought it was going to work into a good Yank story. And instead, you gave me a great uh, audio clip that I'm going to have to post on Twitter. I tweeted out earlier this morning one of your uh, Philadelphia Flyer hockey cards. I'm now going to attach to that the audio quote of you saying, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better uh, sports city than Boston. I'm sure that uh, the old faithful in Philadelphia will love that. Listen, that's great. So now you're setting me up for next year when we go back to Philly. They used to throw snowballs at Santa at the, at the Eagles games and everything else. And Filled with batteries. The, people, the national anthem. So, yeah, thanks very much. I'm going to have to get some uh, Secret Service guys to protect me the next time we go in there. I don't think that you uh, need any type of security studs. Um, hey, look, uh, I want to talk about goaltending. There's a lot to talk about. But before we do, uh, I have to set it up with a good goaltending uh, comment because love talking about your days in Owen Sound. And it's interesting because in Owen Sound, you had the reputation as being quick to the hook to pull your goaltenders, which was not something that you really did at the American League level. Uh, and you, of course, you had a lot of good goalies in the American League as well. You know, not only winning the championship with Barube, but going into uh, having Cal Peterson and, you know, Budai and other guys. But how about Neil Conway and the Neil Conway story from uh, Owen Sound? You want to share that one? <laughs> okay. So you are setting this one up. So yeah, you know what? It was uh, we we went through a few goalies in Owen Sound, and and again, you've got some young guys coming in, and uh, in this particular game, uh, Neil Conway started as the backup, and uh, I can't even remember off the top of my head who this starting goalie was, but you're right. I I, I got very impatient, and uh, I uh, I gave him the nod. I said, uh, you know, Neil, get in there, get your stuff, get ready to go in there. Well, I didn't know that while he'd been sitting on the bench, uh, as some backup goalies do, um, you know, they get a little hungry and, and they got snacks and they, they usually keep them between their knee and their, and their, and their goalie pad. And if you notice, a lot of goalies, that top strap is very loose. So, like, if you're in Montreal, you watch the backup goalie, he could be putting about three or four hot dogs down there because the, the, the hot dogs in Montreal are unbelievable. So everybody's got a nose down their gullet. So, but this kid had a whole bag of, of Twizzlers, you know, like the, the, the licorice and uh -huh, stuff like that. Uh -huh. Well, I didn't know this. So he goes in and now he's totally rattled because like he's got no time to prepare, right? There's no, you know, warm up or anything. It's just like, get your helmet on, get your stuff, get into the crease. So the, the, the play starts and then he, he made a save, John, he made a save and then <laughs> There's a there's a much needed whistle because while he was making this save, the the Twizzlers that he had between his knee and his knee pad spilled out onto the onto the crease, and so <laughs> everybody's watching this kid make a save, and the the blue paint is littered with red Twizzlers, and I was just like, okay. So as soon as he got himself gathered up, we made another goalie change. <laughs> I'm sure that you were very calm, cool, and collected during that particular uh, uh, sequence of yeah, events. Yeah, you know what? I Trust me, I never said a word. I never brought it up again. Really? Yeah, I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> no, no. You know what? And this kid was a champ, too. Like, he had a great sense of humor, and he was a good kid and everything else. And, you know, there's another story about Neil Conway. He, he's in junior, like a lot of guys back when I was coaching, they didn't have cars. Now, most of them, you know, their parents give them cars and everything else, but he had this big old, I think it was a big old Lincoln or something like that. And we didn't have a lot of guys that were able to drive to practice. So we had Neil go around and he'd pick up all, as many guys as I could in his car <laughs> and bring them and bring them to practice after school. So I'm like, 
okay, like, we're trying to organize these carpools. And it seems like Neil's got everybody because what happened is you'd give him a little extra money for gas money, right? Mm. So it, depending upon how many guys he had, he could get this extra cash. Well, then we start like, how the heck does he have this many guys that he's bringing to the rink? So I stood outside in the parking lot the one time and they came in after after school and they didn't see me. And so the the the... The, the driver door opens, the, the passenger door opens, the back door is open, and then Come the on. trunk fires open. <laughs> the trunk fires open, and we got two or three guys climbing out of the trunk just so that Neil Conway could get oh. some extra gas. <laughs> I love it. I love it. See, we need that at the AHL or the NHL level because today there would be video of that and it would be on social media, but, the, you know, we, we probably don't oh, even have a I'm picture of that. I'm to tell that story now because, you know, everybody's going to be up in arms, but, I mean, <laughs> that was the way it was back in the day. Now, now, let's just be clear here that, you know, we called them in and we said, okay, like, you, you can't have guys in your trunk. <laughs> These are... I mean, everybody did it when they had drive-in movies, right? Like, sure, you know, of course. You'd, 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 you'd have somebody in the passenger seat and you'd pay for two tickets for the drive-in. And the next thing you know, you're opening up the trunk and you're pulling out coolers and lawn chairs and everything else. So, I mean, it was just, it was just the way it was back in the day. But, oh yeah, John, there's there's all kinds of stories that we could be told and there's all kinds of books that could be written but uh that's not coming anytime soon we'll wait uh that'll, that'll have to come a few decades from now when you when you finally decide to retire the whistle but uh speaking of goaltending though that was my transition to set this up uh john gibson was in the news this week uh, I, I won't ask you about gibby that that's unfair but what i do want to do is i want to get your your take on uh some prospects I, I love your perspective on prospects and um anaheim has two stud goalies, I think, coming right behind John Gibson. And you had an up-close and personal look at both of them because they spent time with the big club this year. Uh, what, what can you tell us about both of those Anaheim goaltending prospects? Well, first of all, you know what? I can't help but talk about John Gibson because you know how I am with with the goalies now moving forward out of junior and everything. And, I, I mean, I had all kinds of time to talk about Rubes and I had all kinds of time to talk about Budai and Cal and, and Jack Campbell and everything else. And you know what? To me, quite frankly, uh, having seen Gibby on, on, a, on a regular basis, and, and because, you know, he was just down the road, didn't really pay that much attention when I was with the Kings and, and, and what was going on in Anaheim because we were more concerned what was going on in the Kings. But now, you know what? I get to watch Gibby every game and, and every day. And I'll tell you what, he is one of the most elite goaltenders in the NHL. Now, Having said that, I know, you know, there's some talks that, you know, he may be getting moved. There's been some rumors saying that he has suggested himself that he wants to go somewhere else. Um, and then when people start to analyze it and overanalyze it and break it down, they're looking at his numbers and everything else. And, you know, maybe his numbers aren't that great compared to other individuals. But I will tell you, he is an unbelievably good goalie. And he might be one of the, the best in the league, and his numbers maybe do not support it. Um, but I think there's a lot of factors, a lot of variables that have gone into that. Um, but he was lights out for us last year at the start of the season. And, you know, at one point, I think we were, I think we were second in the conference. And a lot of it was due to John Gibson. And, you know what, we, uh, you know, I, I was in charge of the PK and our PK was pretty good, but I used to give all the accolades to John Gibson because he was that good for us, John. And then, you know, you look at uh, Stolarz who comes in and he's our backup. He had a tremendous year too. So before we get into the kids, you've got to give your props to the guys that have been there. 
I don't know where it's going to go with, with Gibby. Um, I know uh, we had a great relationship, and I know how badly he wants to win. Um, he is a guy that knows that the clock is ticking on his uh, his prime years, so he would rather you know have a chance to win now than maybe down the road when you know his skills are not quite the same and maybe have eroded a little bit. I respect him for that. I know that if he ends up remaining with us and we're in a rebuild, of a, a rebuild, um, he will give us everything he's got, as will Stoli. So I think we've got a good one-two, and there's no rush to bring, um, you know, uh, Dost along. But I, I would like to say that he had a great year in San Diego. Uh, it came up and played some real strong games for us in some in some difficult situations because of the COVID and uh, injuries and, you know, not having much time to prepare and coming in and playing in a, in a hockey hotbed like, say, Chicago. You know, you've got that right from the, from the national anthem on. The, the, the building is just vibrating and it's electric in that city. And he, you know, he played really well for us, you know, and, and we got Eck coming along as well. Um, I think the best thing for them is, you know, they got some good quality minutes down in San Diego. I don't think there's any... Um, any uh, need to rush them. I don't think our plan is to rush either one of them. Um, it's always good to have them play a couple of years of, of uh, hockey in the minors. And I think it's only going to benefit them. But if you're, if you're looking at a situation or a position of strength, uh, John, I think, I think the Ducks are very well set in net. A lot of it is going to be determined, obviously, by what happens between now and uh, September with, with Gibby. And uh, that's between him and his agent and and uh, Pat Verbeek to work out. Um, I just know how valuable Gibby is to our organization, and if it now have to change it to was, uh, I'm just grateful that we had him around as long as we did. And uh, you know, Anthony Stolars, he's come. He's had. To, it's been a long, difficult road for him too. And uh, you know, he's earned every bit of it. And great individuals, both of them, and the young kids. Great, great uh, prospects and great personalities as well. Yeah, so bo- there you go. Well, yeah, that was a full uh, a full answer there, more than I was bargaining for. Uh, both of them, though, in, in Stolarz and Lucas. I mean, you're seeing uh, you know nine twenty save percentages in the American League, and uh, like you said, no need to to rush either of them. But if the opportunity was to arise, um, I think that. Anaheim definitely is is in a position of strength in the goaltending pipeline. Let's turn the attention and spotlight back to you now, Stutz, because this was um, this was a big year for you, right? You're in the National Hockey League. You're an assistant coach for the Anaheim Ducks. You come in with a lot of excitement, uh, and and then all of a sudden, the world is kind of ripped out from under you in terms of upstairs on the management perspective. The longtime GM of the Anaheim Ducks is is gone. Uh, in comes Pat Verbeek, who is going to, of course, want to put his fingerprints all over the organization, as any GM does. Uh, but the good news is that uh, from a head coaching perspective, Dallas Eakins is going to be back next year. You are going to be back as an assistant coach. When you think back to this this last year, and I'm guessing, I'm assuming, the wild ride that it was, um, including during COVID when Dallas was gone, you take over as the as the head coach and had a couple games there. Just... Uh, I love to play high-low. What were kind of some of the couple highs, couple lows for you personally as an assistant coach in the NHL this past season? Well, definitely, you know, one of the highs, it started out early when, you know, uh, the call was made. Uh, Bob Murray called me and, and asked me if I'd be interested in being uh, assistant coach in Anaheim. 
Uh, Dallas Eakins reached out and asked me if I'd be interested, and I said, sure, absolutely. Uh, I knew, obviously, of them. Uh, Dallas I'd played against for years in the American Hockey League. We coached against each other uh, in the American Hockey League, and because you know I, I followed hockey as, as a young kid, I saw Bob Murray play with Chicago. Um, and again, because of the proximity to uh, the Kings and, and Anaheim, it was it was an easy decision. Um, and the fact that you know the staff that they were putting together uh, was a, it was a staff that had a lot of experience, um, and I, I think that was important. So I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity from Dallas and, and from Bob. Uh, it was a little bit uh, challenging going in. This was the first time, actually, John that. I went to an organization and I didn't know anybody. And now when I say that, I mean, I knew of people, I knew who they were, but it was the first time I'd gone somewhere where I hadn't actually coached somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't actually worked with anybody. And it was like, that was a, that was, you know, one of those things where it's like, holy smokes. But, <laughs> but you know, you just go in and it was like, you know what, I'm just going to be stuts. I'm, you know what, I'm stuts. I am the way I am. I say what I say. And, you know, I come in with my Crocs and whatever else. And, and you like, hug okay, everybody. Right? And yes, and then they all just warm yeah, up to you. <laughs> yeah, there's, well, hey, you know what? That, that That's funny, too, because, you know, we were all getting to know each other at the start. And, you know, like some of the, the guys are coming back, uh, you know, trickling in before training camp. And they're coming in and saying hi to Dallas and whoever. And if they knew somebody, like, there's hugs going on. <laughs> else. I just, like, I got my arm straight out. And I'm like, what? I am not hugging any of you oh, fucking yeah. guys. So we win the Stanley Cup. Until then, I said, don't touch me. Okay. So we got that established early. Good. Okay, that was not going to happen. If we win the Stanley Cup, there'll be hugs for everybody. How did the Crocs in the go meantime, over? I just, I just went in to be me. And, yeah. it, it, and it was just, it was, it was good. The players were really, really receptive, which was outstanding. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of good ideas between Dallas and uh, Jeff Ward and Newell Brown. Our, our video guys were very competent and capable, so that was good. So it was a, it was a good fit, and we got off to a good start, mm-hmm. which was which was great, right? Yeah. And then it kind of you know maybe so now you're on a high, and then you're maybe going with a with a low because things are happening now with with Bob Murray, and I mean I wasn't around, right? So I don't know all the ins and outs. Um, all I know is from how he treated me and 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 everything else. So um, I'm kind of getting things secondhand and. You know, they decide that um, they're going to go in a different direction. But we didn't hire a GM. We we assumed one with, with Jeff Solomon, right, who you know from the Kings mm-hmm. uh, for many years. I knew uh, Solly. But he had the interim tag, which it, it's almost like, um, uh, you know, when you we make a coaching change and you, you make an interim coach. It's mm-hmm. Like players even look around and they go, well, who is really the head coach? Like, mm-hmm. is this guy the head coach? going to be the head coach? Is this guy the GM? Is he going to be the GM? And we went with that for a long time, and I'm not sure, and again, don't, don't quote me on this, I'm not sure if, <laughs> if Solly, uh, who did a good job, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if he had the authority to to make any changes to make us better or, or you know, any changes at all. So uh, I think we were kind of in a, in a stagnant period, and then, and then Pat came in. It was a little bit later, and, you know, we're getting into the trade deadline area where everybody's you know, talking and rumors are abound. And like now our, our whole locker room is kind of a, in a state of flux, like who's going, who's staying. And we knew that we had some guys, their contracts, they had to be addressed. 
and you know what kind of money were they going to be looking for what kind of term were they going to be looking for if we were to move them what kind of assets would we get in return and and pat came in with a plan and a, and a vision and it's pretty clear that you know he wants to have a rebuild and he wanted to you know if he wasn't going to be able to sign guys um to reasonable term or uh, you know acceptable uh price tags uh, uh being cognizant of the of the salary cap, then those guys were going to have to be moved. Right. And when that happened, you know, as every and, and this is no excuse for our our organization or our team because everybody goes through the same thing. But there was a lot of uh, uneasiness in the room because you know who was going and, and and they were all good players, all contributing players, and so we kind of went, uh, you know, new or young. And we moved out some guys that have been around for a while, which, you know, is always a tough situation. And we dealt with COVID as did everybody else, which again, now you've got guys and you're, you're coming in and we're getting tested every day, which everybody was. Guys are in and out of the lineup. Guys are out of the lineup for 10 days. And then it started to hit the staff, right? So <laughs> it started with, I think, uh, uh, Jeff Ward and, and one of our video guys, Joe, they got, they got COVID. And so now we're like, okay, well, everybody will just step up and, and, you know, kind of fill in until those guys can get back. Well, you know, we're, we're getting ready for a home game against Tampa. And of course it's like, okay, it's just Tampa, no big deal. Right. So it's like, we're already thinking and Dallas got tested as, as we all did. And our trainer came back in our medical guy and said, you know, Dallas, you tested positive. So, you know, you, you got to leave. So, you know, Dallas just, looked at myself and, and, and Newell and said, well, that's, you got the bench tonight and, uh, you know, whatever. And it was actually good that it happened in that way because there was no time to think about it and there was no time to go, holy shit, we're playing Tampa. You know what I mean? It was just like, okay, this is at a morning skate. You know what? You, you get your lineup. You, you figure out who you got. Um, you know, we had a meeting myself and, and, and Newell with the players and said, listen, things are a little bit different down here. You know, like we're we're short a few guys on the bench. We need you guys to kind of contribute and be sharp on the bench. And, you know, if you don't know who's up or whatever, make sure we know. We went in with a little bit of a game plan, and our guys, John, were excellent. Like our our veteran guys on the back end, Kevin Shattenkirk and, and Cam Fowler, were, were dialed right in. And we had Getsy up front, Adam Henrique, and guys like that. You know what? They were, they were awesome on the bench. So it, it kind of made that whole coaching thing a little bit easier. Um, but that's not to say that, you know what, now you're standing behind the bench in the NHL as, as the head coach, which is a dream come true for anybody. And it just happens to be against Braden Point and Tampa Bay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I don't know how we did it. I think they must have had their rookie party because they must have been all, they must have been all licked up and hung over because we ended up beating them that night, which was great. But again, I tip my hat to John Gibson because he was lights out. And then we went from there, John. We went on a we went on a road trip. Uh, we started in Boston, uh, then we went into Toronto, which is you know my hometown, and and my my childhood dream was playing for the Leafs, and I was a, a Leaf fan, and I still am, um, not as much as I am as Anaheim Ducks fan. But <laughs> Good save. <laughs> Ducks can't win now. Then I'd like it to be the Leafs, and if not, I I you know what I'm actually going to go against Braden Point this year because he's won two Stanley Cups in a row, and I'd like to see uh, Josh Manson, who we had on the back end, win with Colorado, and Big Derm. And I know a lot of people in, in L.A. are very familiar with what sure. uh, Derm could do, and I know a lot of people harped on what Big Derm couldn't do or what they thought he couldn't do, 
So I can tell you what, the guy is a winner. The guy is a glue in the locker room. So I'm hoping for a guy like him. But anyway, so now we're back into Toronto. And I'm like, this is a, this is like a dream come true, except that there's no fans in the building. It's an empty building. So, <laughs> I mean, that kind of changed things a little bit. I had it all set up that I was having, you know, family and friends and everybody, if we were possibly going to have a few fans in the building, uh, would have been nice. Um, and then we played Toronto. I think uh, we, we, had, we got behind. We had to come to ha- uh, come back, and I think we tied it up, and then we went in overtime. Uh, they won, and then we went into Montreal, which is obviously uh, another hockey mecca building of champions and a great place to play, and we managed to win that one. So in my three-game uh, coaching span, uh, it was pretty successful. It was a thrill beyond anything that I can even imagine. The taste of it was something that you want to get to enjoy again at some point, if it ever presents itself. Unfortunately, it was at the expense of of Dallas, who got sick with COVID, but uh, he's the guy that gave me the chance to come into Anaheim in the first place, so uh, good on him. And props to everybody that helped out, Neil Brown and and the players. They were absolutely fantastic in helping a, a, a guy out that was... You know, I've been around a long time, but didn't have that head coaching title at the NHL level, and uh, they were terrific. So, you know what? That was definitely one of the highlights of the year anyway. And Stutz, uh, we're going to get back to the Crocs in a minute. Don't worry. I I didn't forget about that. But you left out one key part of that long story, and that was you acting surprised when you saw me at the end of the Tampa Bay game. (laughs) Well, you know what? That on me, because I should not be surprised when a guy like you, but you know what? And and I, I gave the proper props to, you know, the, the coaches that helped out, the players and, and the video guys and everything else. But a guy like yourself, you made sure you were there in support of me. Absolutely. Which I do not forget, and I very, very much appreciate. And you know what? It was, it was kind of nice to see that familiar, friendly face after a game and say, hey, you know what? I was here for you, bud. Uh, I'm happy for you. And you know what? I think that's why you and I get along so well. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say we get along. Don't 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 exaggerate or embellish just to, uh, you know, make it a good story. So here. We get along on the phone. <laughs> These long distance ones, we're good. We're not hanging together or anything else. And there's, there's no there's no bonding. There's no hugging. There's, there's no, no hugging. No. Bungles, <laughs> around a bonfire or anything like that. So that's not going to happen. No. All right. Well, let's wrap it up with the Crocs then, because uh, you, you know that I'm not a fan. You are a fan. You mentioned uh, showing up and just being stuts being who you are, putting it all out there when you first joined the Ducks organization. I need to know, how did the Crocs go over uh, with all of the young kids? Um, well, you know what? I mean, it's the same. You get the same chirps no matter what, right? <laughs> and and then it's like when they see that it doesn't even phase you in the least, it's like, okay, they just pick on something else. It's like, it's like when you get a nickname. Mm-hmm. And you always know, like, the guy gets a nickname and he hates it. If he lets on that he hates it, if they just, you know, so like we're not going to let up. We're <laughs> so just going to do it, right? But if you let on that it doesn't bother you at all, which, I mean, it truly doesn't. It's like water <laughs> off a duck's back. I mean, it, it is what it is. And and you know what? I got my, my granddaughter. She's two. What's she wearing today at the lacrosse tournament? Crocs. No, she's don't corrupt her. She's too young. Don't Listen, corrupt there's her. A park, there's a park that we're trying to keep her in, entertained in between games. She's up and down the slide. She's uh, got her Crocs on. I uh, mean, just... 
this kid could scale the side of the house wearing Crocs. I mean, it's unbelievable. And the next time I see you, I'm hoping that you're going to have the Anaheim Ducks colors and and, and your Crocs on. I might be wearing a black and orange Dixon flannel, but I will not be wearing Crocs. That I can can guarantee. Here, I'll make you a deal. Uh, If the Ducks ever win a Stanley Cup, then um, I will wear Crocs to the Stanley Cup party that you have. How about that? Is that a deal? Well, listen, if the Ducks win go. the Stanley Cup and I, and, I, and I get a day with the Cup, you've got to come here to uh, Owen Sound, up here at the lake, and you know what? We'll drink out of the Cup, and then we'll drink out of the Crocs. How's that? <laughs> a Canadian shoey. You know, in Australia, they do that. They, the Australian athletes, they drink beer out of a shoe, like a used tennis shoe, which is so gross. You see the UFC fighters, some of these guys do this and some of the soccer players. So fine, we'll drink beer out of a crock. I don't know how that works with the holes or whatever, but we'll figure it out. Uh, you mentioned chirps. I have to ask you one more question then because you you played against Dallas. You, you know, you're coaching with them now. You or you coached against them as well, though. Um What's that one game, that one moment, that one memory? Like, you guys are buddies now, but there has to still be that chirp that uh, that he likes to give to you or you give to him. What's that one game that always seems to come up between the two of you guys? I don't know if it's any one thing. The thing we do talk about a lot is, um, is the battles uh, between the teams. So when... You know, when I was playing in the American League and, and Dallas was playing in the American League, he's a, he's a couple of years younger than me. But, you know, I'm in Hershey, he's in Baltimore, and that's that's an easy drive, right? So that's a rivalry kind of like uh, Ontario and, and the Ducks. You're, you're playing each other like 12, 14 times a year. Well, we had an extremely tough team. You know, we're affiliated with the Flyers, so that's a no-brainer, right? We're mm-hmm. going to have meat like up and down the lineup. And, and, and they had the same type of thing. So, like, there were some long games, like, there were some really long games between the time it was said and done. And then, you know, you, you fast uh, forward to the, to the coaching thing. And we moved from Manchester to, uh, to uh, uh, Ontario. They're in San Diego. We're going head to head. And again, it's, it's that matchup, right? And, you know, we had uh, uh, some tough guys. And, you know, they always had some tough guys. And again, the, the rivalry was unbelievable. Like, yeah. it was just crazy and we talked about it all the time but here's the crazy thing like the thing that comes up the most and and i'm going to go back to from from dallas and when i went there for the first time in anaheim at training camp never mind the fact that you know they they were bugging me about my crocs and everything but the first thing they asked they asked and it was almost sprinkled throughout the organization from management and players alone what's curtis mcdermott like like what is with that guy and i swear to god everybody like they talked about him they wanted to know about him they were like this is the biggest guy i've ever seen this is the strongest guy i've ever seen this is the toughest guy i've ever seen and i'm thinking you know what like it when you break it down like we had some really good players in ontario not to say that Jeremy wasn't but you know like prolific goal scorers or sure. uh, all-stars and then you know they could ask about Kopi with the kings and stuff like that or, or drew with the kings or quickie and and they're asking about kermit curtis mcdermott so that's he gets in everybody's head like right then and there like you know like they would like dallas said if you guys submitted your lineup and Dermy's name was on the sheet he said he he had guys coming up with the flu uh, hamstring injuries and everything else. They did not want to play against Big Durham. Yeah. So, you know what? It's it's something to be said. Love the big man. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, there was that one year in the American League that I distinctly remember where it seemed like nobody wanted to fight him. Like, the reputation was already there. Um, hey, look, we, this was supposed to be 15 minutes. Uh, we went a little bit of overtime. I appreciate that. Thank you to the grandkids for uh, giving you up. Uh, I'll let you run and get back to lacrosse or uh, get a nap in or polish your Crocs or whatever you have planned on this fine Saturday. Uh, game. Listen, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's uh, it's going on 1 o'clock here, my time. John, i got to be back at the lacrosse floor uh for two o'clock then we've got a 5 30 and then we've got a 7 30 and myself and uh the other grandpa uh we've already pulled the plug on the 7 30 uh, game because there's no way we're going to watch seven-year-olds play lacrosse when there's an nhl game starting at eight o'clock our time there you go so uh we've already declared that we need to have a mandatory sitting which is a couple of beers and, and watching hockey so we're going to pull the pin on that 7 30 game all right. Well, you enjoy some pops tonight. Enjoy uh, Braden Point, Tampa Bay, Colorado, Game 2. Stutz, it, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, look forward to speaking again soon. All right, John. Well, I look forward to seeing you. But actually, you know what? Uh, development camp. Probably see you sometime there. You're either hanging around uh, L.A.'s tra- uh, training camp or development camp or ours. So I look forward to seeing you. So I look forward to seeing you at Great Park. How's that? I will be there at Great Park. I will stop by for sure and uh, check out that that prospect pool that is overflowing. All of those great kids. Mason McTavish is the guy that I want to see the most. So just make sure he's on the uh, on the roster. Okay. Oh, listen, I've been able to watch him play in this. Uh, he's now going to the Memorial Cup, so I, I slid down to Hamilton to watch him play a couple of games. Okay. The kid is legit. Oh, he, he is. looks good, but yeah. Oh, he's... yeah. So him and him and Z and Terry and and Drysdale among others. Yep, things are looking good for the Ducks. All right, Stutzy. Enjoy uh, enjoy lacrosse. Enjoy game two tonight. We'll talk soon. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. There you go, Mike Stuthers. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back on the other side for the third period of Kings of the Podcast. Devil inside, devil inside. Every single one of us, the devil inside. Devil inside, devil inside. Every single one of us, the devil inside. Oh. But certainly slight Look at the faces, listen to the bells It's hard to believe we need a place called hell Place called hell The devil inside, the devil inside Every single one of us, the devil inside Devil inside, the devil inside Every single one of us, the devil inside Wow, where do we go from here? What a fantastic second period. Great interview there with Mike Stuthers. Always good to catch up with him. Stutz is just one story on top of another story on top of another story. Uh, As I've said many times, one of my favorite people in the entire world of hockey. Hell, he might be one of my favorite people on earth, period. Uh, Let's switch gears, get to the LA Kings now. There was a a variety of information related to the LA Kings that came out this week. I tweeted out some stuff. I first want to start with the World Juniors because there was some confusion. Team Canada put out a roster of an evaluation camp 
lineup that they're going to have coming up at the end of July. And that is actually their their roster for the World Juniors that will be taking place this coming December and January in uh, Nova Scotia, Halifax specifically. And Brant Clark, LA Kings first round draft pick from last year, has been invited to that. He's the only LA Kings prospect as of right now uh, that has been invited to that camp. I say as of now because there are a handful of players that were invited to participate at that camp at the end of July that uh, are eligible for the NHL draft coming up here in a few weeks. So uh, if one of those players happens to be selected by the LA Kings, then the Kings would, of course, have more players than Brant Clark at that camp. But again, that is the camp for the World Juniors that's taking place in December in Nova Scotia. The World Juniors from last year, what we call the 2022 World Juniors, it's always numbered based upon when the gold medal is going to be awarded, which is typically the first week of January. So the gold medal that would have been awarded in January of 2022 was not because the tournament was halted and it's being replayed uh, in August in Edmonton, as we've talked about on the last couple of shows. And here's the news that uh, I've been able to uncover, and we've, we've tweeted some of this stuff out, so some of you may have already heard this, but... All of the LA Kings prospects that participated last year at the World Juniors, or I should say were scheduled to participate, have been invited back and are scheduled to play again. Hellenius, Chromiak, etc., with one exception, and that is Brock Faber. From what we understand from the sources that uh, we spoke with this week, it sounds like Brock Faber will not play for Team USA at the upcoming World Juniors. That's a little bit of a bummer because uh, he, of course, had worn a letter or was scheduled to wear a letter for, for Team USA. Uh, he's played a lot of hockey, though, over the last year, not only at the University of Minnesota, but also at the Olympics for Team USA and whatnot. So it sounds like young Brock Faber, at least at this point, is not going to play for Team USA. Now, that little nugget actually gets me to Team Canada for this August in Edmonton. Uh, in talking with some sources this week, and including some, some high-ranking officials inside of Team Canada and trying to get to the bottom of what's going on with their roster uh, in August, this is what I was able to uncover. It sounds like they are going to invite their entire team, the entire roster that was scheduled to play at 2022 World Juniors, they're going to invite that, that group back. However, just like with Faber missing for Team USA, there could be one, two, maybe three or four players missing from Team Canada because of injuries, because of travel, because of availability, their team won't let them play, whatever it is, Team Canada might not bring back their entire roster as it was from December. And if that's the case, from what I understand, there's a reserve list and Brant Clark is on that reserve list, that list of names that the Team Canada officials will select replacements from. However, there's not going to be an evaluation camp. So that part's going to be a little bit different. Normally for World Juniors, you do an evaluation camp in the summer, and then you do a selection camp in December, and then the tournament starts there the day after Christmas. For the August tournament, they're just going to go right to the tournament, basically. So what they're going to do, allegedly, is they are going to just name a roster here in about two weeks, and they're going to say, hey, this is the roster we're taking to Edmonton. They'll arrive at Edmonton a little bit early. They'll have a little bit of a training camp to get ready, and then they'll play in the tournament starting on, I believe it's August 9th and the gold medal is scheduled to be awarded on August 20th. So we'll have a lot more world junior talk uh, as we get closer between now and then Dennis, of course, will give us the Stanley cup final report. We also have the, uh, the draft coming up. We'll have a lot of draft coverage on mayorsmanner.com. And we will also be talking about the Ontario rain because the big news of the week was the conclusion to a story that we broke on mayor's manor uh, about a month or so ago. And that is that, uh, or was that the plan appeared to be to move Marco Sturm to the head coach role of the Ontario Reign 
which creates an opening for an assistant coach in Los Angeles. And if you read the article on mayorsmanner.com, I gave you the name of a potential person that could be hired as uh, an assistant head coach taking the role that Stern previously had. In other words, the name of the person that could be joining Coach Todd McClellan's coaching staff next year in Los Angeles and really uh, would become the primary person tasked with improving the power play. Now, what does this mean for Marco? Well, after the official announcement came down on Friday that Marco Sturm was the head coach of the Ontario Reign, we had a chance to catch up with Marco and uh, get some thoughts from him. So here's some audio from a discussion with Marco Sturm. The first question I asked him was just kind of a, an opening question and said, hey, um, were there any specific things that you learned or skills that you honed while you were in Los Angeles for the past three and a half years? Yeah, yeah. No, there, there's a lot of things, but uh, I think, uh, you know, I played for a long time in the league. Um, so I knew everything on the ice. Um, I think what uh, our coaches, staff, uh, with the Kings, and especially Todd, teach me what what was going on behind the scenes. And it's the daily, the daily job we have to do. Uh, uh, the ups and downs, uh, especially the, the the bench management as well. I think uh, I never seen a guy like Todd uh, even in my career who's. Uh, who's that sharp and good organized and, and stuff like that. I think uh, that's something I really took from him the last few years. And, uh, and I'm trying to do basically the, uh, try to do the same thing. Next question for Marco was about the Kings prospects. I wanted to know um, as he moves over to the AHL, were there maybe one or two LA Kings prospects that he was most excited to work with this next season? Uh, I don't, you know what, I, I don't want to name any names, but um, I, I think uh, for right now, for me, I, I'm in general, I'm, I'm very excited for all of them. Um, I, you know, my bonus is right now that I, I met a lot of those young kids already. I seen him play, I seen him act uh, on and off the ice. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a whole excitement and, uh, but I can't, you know, I can't, can't mention one or two names. It's, I think it's a whole group and that's how we, I'm going to approach everything. Uh, it's going to be not a one-man show. It's going to be a whole team effort. And I'm just going to try, uh, yeah, help those kids uh, to come to the next level and also, you know, uh, win some hockey games. I mean, there's uh, a few uh, few different things what's going on right now. But, uh, again, I'm just, uh, I'm just very, very happy. Now, for the next question, uh, Marco gave a really interesting answer, uh, considering that it was a little bit of a softball question. Uh, it wasn't necessarily uh, coming in hot, but he certainly uh, he gave us the best answer of the press conference. Let's put it that way. Um, the question I had for him was, hey, look, is there any pressure as a coach coming from the L.A. Kings, who obviously have had a struggling power play over the last couple of years? That's not new news. But was, is there any pressure coming from a Kings team that has had a struggling power play over to the Ontario Reign team that not only had the league's best power play last season, but the all-time best power play in the American League? Any pressure with that, Marco? Uh, absolutely not. Um, if you want to play me, that's fine. You know, But I think it's always a group effort. And uh, we tried always to do our best. And uh, I mean, hopefully uh, uh, in the future, the Kings will have a have a better power play that's for sure but uh no we we, we try those special things I, I know it's very important and i know the the rain will uh they had a really good success last year maybe not in the playoffs but that's something uh no you still have to work on it's uh again it's a lot of up and downs too even on special teams so we just try to 
stay on top of it and try to make sure uh, that was just a, not a lucky year. So we want to be very consistent. Now, of course, I wasn't blaming him for the power play, but uh, I, I can respect the sentiment uh, that Marco had to share there that, uh, hey, if, if people out there want to blame him for the LA Kings power play woes, then he will accept it. He will wear it. I think the... Uh, the results will speak for themselves next season. Uh, there will be a new assistant coach in Los Angeles, and we'll see where the power play goes. Obviously, Todd McClellan and his staff are, are keenly aware of what needs to improve next year. And it's not just the X's and O's of the power play, but it's also a mix of players as well. So GM Rob Blake will be on the hunt to add to the player mix as well. Last question for Marco uh, had to do with the assistant coaches. Longtime assistant coach Chris Height. Uh, recent head coach Craig Johnson, those two really held the fort together here uh, over the last couple of seasons. It's been uh, it's been rough there in Ontario, and things have not been stable behind the bench. Uh, and hopefully, Marco can fix that. But how important was it? Was my question? How important was it for him to bring back Chris Height and Craig Johnson and bring that stability on his assistant coaches uh, with his assistant coaches? I think our relationship is really strong, and both are great guys, and both. And we all did the same. We all tried over the years. We all tried to be on the same page and have a good relationships between the Rain and the Kings. And, uh, you know, Haider was, uh, uh, especially when he was a head coach, he was over in our office almost every day. And that's good. I, I think I like that. And uh, I hope, uh, you know, uh, Jans, he comes over a lot to the Rain side. I mean, you know, I think uh, to have that chemistry and, 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 and also the friendships, uh, I think it's going to be really important. And I'm I'm just very happy because those are the guys who are going to be really important for me too. And that's what I learned really, really quickly. And I saw it here with the Kings as well. I think the staff and how they communicate and represent yourself, you know, in front of the team and, and, and everything else, it's, it's very important um, because if not, you're going to be in big trouble. So I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very glad that I have uh, a good coaching staff um, beside me. And, uh, and uh, no, I'm just going to look forward to work with, the, with these guys on a regular basis. All right, I know we're running long here today. This was a great episode, uh, a long extended conversation with Mike Stuthers, and we know that DB is tied up with a lot of the fun going down there in Denver. So we'll, we'll have an extended conversation with Dennis next time around. But for now, have a great week, everybody. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Kings of the Podcast. Pleasures remain so dis-